Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host, Jack Perks. Now, today we're going to be covering something slightly different. I'm going to be giving you careers advice, and that is on the topics of being a wildlife presenter, a wildlife photographer, and a wildlife cameraman. Now, I'm going to try and be relatively positive if I can. I'm generally a pessimist, I'm also a realist. These are very, very difficult professions to get into, and very few people make it but I'm gonna try and give you a little head start if I can into these. One thing I would say before I start is if there's a specific aspect that you wanna do, say you've always wanted to be a presenter, um, I've spoken to some of the biggest wildlife presenters in the UK previously on this podcast, go back and have a listen. If you wanna be a wildlife photographer, I've spoken to some of the top UK wildlife photographers, go back through the catalog and have a listen. And likewise, if you wanna be a wildlife camera operator, I've spoken to some of the leading UK wildlife camera operators. So I would say that I go into way more detail on these topics in previous episodes. So if you've got something specific, I'd recommend that you go back and listen to some previous episodes. Now before I start, I'm going to mention buymeacoffee.com. This is a way that you, the listener, can fund the podcast. We're not sponsored, no one funds it except you. So all the money that you send in helps make it possible. I normally ask for a fiver. It's the same price as a coffee or a pint. So if you think that you can spare that, much appreciated. And it helps me ticking along and funding my alcoholism. So thanks for that. Right, let's get started. So I think before I go into those three main topics, let's just talk about general stuff. So people always ask me, like, how long did it take before you made it as a as a cameraman? Um, what I should say, because I'm just assuming people know who I am. But if you don't know who I am, I'm a professional wildlife camera operator, uh, photographer, whatever. I've been doing it now for about 10 years. And I originally started when I was 16. I did a two-year course at South Knotts College, which was just general photography. If I'm honest with you, I've never really been a, a photographer. I just love wildlife. And I was trying to figure out how can I engage with wildlife and get paid to do it. I wasn't academic enough to do a zoological degree. I didn't want to be a vet because I, I couldn't put a dog down. Don't mind cats too much, but I'd struggle with dogs. So I thought, what can I do? And for some reason, I, to this day, I still don't exactly know why, photography just popped in my head. Because I thought, right, I don't have to know too much about the animals. I can just be out there of animals and photograph them. And that's what led me to it. I then did a three-year course at Falmouth University on the marine and natural history photography degree that was 2009 till 2012 which is fucking ages away when I when I think about it when I say it out loud it seems like yesterday do you need a degree I've already talked about this in two previous podcasts so if you want to look about maybe you're thinking about joining uni the very short answer and there's a a lot more nuance to this is I would say no you don't necessarily need a degree but for some people it's useful for me personally I think the degree was useful because it focused me for three years. Other people would say it's a complete waste of money. So look, if you if you want to if you are toying with the idea of doing a wildlife photography degree, 
go and check out the two previous podcasts we did that. We spoke to a lecturer on the MNHP course and I also spoke to a lecturer on a master's course about this topic. So if you're thinking about it, go check those out. But the short and curly is of works for some, not for others is the very quick, uh, quick answer. So I, I left uni in 2012. I had to move back home, move back to Nottinghamshire because I, I couldn't afford to live in Cornwall. As much as I love living down there, couldn't afford it. And when I came back, I had to start making money straight away. So what I did is I used to do an, a night job at Boots. I worked in the mail room at Boots, which was a night shift, 4 p.m. till 12 at night. So I had money coming in. I, I, you know, I don't have the bank of mum and dad. I don't come from a very privileged family. I had to kind of work to, to get the money that I got. What that meant, though, was that I had the day to try and do photography. I would go out and take pictures in the day. I would make contacts. And slowly, after about three and a half years... I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what? The money that I'm making for, for photography isn't far off the money I was making for boots. Let's sack in boots and that will really push me to, to carry on. Now, we had a, um, a wildlife cameraman come to the uni called Doug Allen. And Doug Allen is arguably one of the biggest wildlife camera cameramen um, in the UK. I've only met him once, met him very briefly, seemed a nice enough guy. Now, he says that if you've not made it within five years... You need to rethink your kind of strategy. Uh, my lecturer, my old lecturer, he said 10. Now, I would probably say I agree more with Doug than 10. I think 10 years is a long fucking time to have a go at something and then and then not really get there. But, you know, it depends how determined you are on how much you want it. But for me personally, I think five years is a solid amount of time. If you've spent five years trying to be a, a cameraman or a photographer or whatever and you're not any closer to when you started, then either you're not right for the industry or the industry is not right for you. And I mean five years of solid graft, then I would say have a backup plan. And I think that's a very sensible thing. Think about it. Why do you want to be a wildlife photographer or a wildlife cameraman or a presenter? What is the reason for that? Is it because you really like wildlife? Well, there's loads of jobs with wildlife that don't include a camera. Is it because you really like taking pictures? Well, there's loads of jobs that don't involve wildlife that involve taking pictures. So you know what I mean? Have, have a backup plan. Think about why you want to do it. So once I was kind of making money, the other thing I had to think about was a website. Now, this, this should be obvious. I would like to think that you've already done this. But if you haven't, if you want to get into um, any of these professions, you need a website to showcase. And I think showcase is the key word. Don't chuck loads of fucking guff on there. Keep it small, simple, and slimlined. Slimlined? Is that a word? That doesn't sound right. You know what I mean. Uh, not a lot on there. Treat your website as the best of the best, the creme de la creme, the absolute best up. So only put your best up. It's better to have five really fucking good pictures on there than 20 shit ones. So only put your best stuff on there. Likewise, if it's presenting, only put your best presenting on there. Uh, little little clips on there. And if it's your filmmaking, just put your best clips. Because you have to think, your website is probably going to be the first port of call when someone's going to hire you. So if you've got a load of shite on there, they ain't going to go for it. Make sure you've got the best of the best. When it comes to social media, you should be on all of the social media. Uh, nearly all of them are free, so it doesn't cost you anything. Get yourself a Facebook page. I know if you're under 30... Facebook is sort of seen where like granddads go on it or whatever, but you should still have a Facebook page because there will be a whole audience that you're not tapping into who use Facebook, e.g. kind of, you know, older people, which I guess I kind of am now. I'm 32. I'm just 
I'm not young anymore, but I'm not old. I'm in a weird limbo. Now, Instagram seems to be the most widespread one. Um, personally, I can't really work it out because you would assume being a photographer, Instagram would be the one that you have the biggest presence on. Uh, I, I struggle to build a presence on there. I don't know why, but um, you should definitely be on Instagram, 100%. And then Twitter, X, whatever the fuck you want to call it, um, you should definitely be on Twitter. A lot of people like, isn't that just where people, you know, complain about transgender people or whatever but get get on twitter get on twitter or x or whatever you want to call it it is useful and it's also fantastic because you can directly um get to people who you can talk to if you want to talk to a producer or an editor or whatever if they're on x twitter you can contact them directly x sounds weird i don't like calling it x uh youtube particularly if you want to get into presenting and camera work you should definitely have a YouTube account. That's where you should be dumping uh, little little kind of snippets, showreels, nice, short, snappy stuff um, for people to see. I don't use TikTok, but I'm told it's good. So again, it doesn't hurt to have TikTok um, and that can, can definitely help you. LinkedIn. Oh, I was wondering when my dogs would show up on this podcast. Um, LinkedIn is more of a professional one. To be honest with you, I don't use it very often. Um, I don't know if I would recommend it. It's probably worth having. It's worth setting one up. I've only ever got one job from LinkedIn in 10 years. Admittedly, it's one of the best jobs I've ever done. So I can't slag it off too much. It was working on Mr. Crabtree Goes Fishing as a cameraman. But I think it's probably one of those things, if you put into it, you'll get more out of it. I don't generally get a lot of it. I know for camera work, the industry one is a, is a website called Talent Manager. And they encourage you to join that, but I, I don't, I can't be asked for that personally. One of the most common questions I get asked is whether you should go down the route of having a niche or not. So obviously my niche is freshwater fish. Now I routinely get asked by people how to film freshwater fish, where to film them. Always, constantly get asked. Generally speaking, I don't tell people shit. <laughs> so if uh, if you've if you've sent me a message on Instagram or something and you've asked me how to do it, and then I've sent you this as a reply, this this is my reply, which I don't tell people how I do it, which I know isn't very helpful for you, but look at it from my point of view, which is, if you were a plumber, would you message another plumber and say, can you tell me how to plumb? I'm not going to pay you, but what I'm going to do is learn your skills, and in a couple of years, be competing with you for work. No, of course you wouldn't do that. So it might make me sound like an asshole or a bit bitter, Honestly, I'm not, but I'm not going to tell people how to do these things. It just doesn't make any sense. I would just say that the way that I film fish, it ain't rocket science. You can work it out pretty easily. And I think you've got much more respect for your peers when they make their own way and they do well. And a good example of that is there's a photographer called Austin Ferguson, who's actually been on the podcast. He was one of the very first um, guests on the podcast. He's an American guy. And he went out to the uh, Seattle, I think it was. Was it Seattle? Somewhere around that way to film Pacific Salmon. And I saw his work and I thought, I bet this guy's an asshole. I bet he's not a very, you know, but he's really arrogant. Um, and when I met him, he was lovely. He was so friendly and I was even more annoyed. I thought, oh, this is horrible. This guy's really friendly. But he never once asked me how to film fish, but he was very interested in what I did and we got on really well. So I kind of... I think I've got more respect for people who just get on and do it rather than the ones just asking how to do it. Now, I realise that people who ask, they're not necessarily trying to steal work and they're just curious. Sometimes they're a fan and they want to do what you're doing. 
but I, I'm not going to help. So I know that sounds really mean, but if you have to think about it, this is the only way that I make my living. The last thing I want to do is tell other people exactly how I do it, and then they start taking work from me. And it's happened in the past. I've learned this through bitter experience, where I've helped people who I think, oh, they seem really nice, and then they've just fucked me over. So I'm really sorry that I don't I don't give out any tips um, on that specifically. So um, circling back, do I think a niche is a good idea? Yes and no. I think that niches can be good because, you know, if I'm just using me as an example, if someone's working on freshwater fish, my name, I don't get all the jobs, obviously, but my name will often get mentioned. But it also means that if someone's doing a documentary on, say, British bats, they're never going to think of me. And I'd love to do that. So a niche is a double-edged sword. Yes, if that niche comes up, you might get the work. But it also means that for more generalist stuff, you're very unlikely to get that work. So I think if you just want to get a, a broader range, you're better off being a generalist. It's just that I love fish and that's why I do it. Um, and also because I don't solely rely on camera work, I do lots of other different things within wildlife media, I can afford to be a bit more choosy. Hopefully I didn't sound like a complete cunt then, but... Some people would argue that I am, but hopefully uh, you don't think that. So what other ways can you do? There are picture libraries. So some of them for moving images, some of them for stills. What I would say with picture libraries is anyone can make money on them. Anyone can put their images, their video, and you will make money from them. But will you make a living from them? Almost certainly not. So manage your expectations. Um, we did, again, I've done a podcast on picture libraries. If you want to learn more about the picture library industry, go back and listen to that one. Uh, we had Ben Andrews from RSPB Picture Libraries come on. I would say that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you could have made a living from it. You could have easily made 20, 30 grand. These days, you ain't going to be making like 5% of that if you're lucky, if you're absolutely lucky. So it's worth doing it, but manage your expectations. Um, likewise, like things like magazines and stuff, again, you can make money from magazines, but printed media is, you know, it's going down the toilet pretty much. So um, you can make money from magazines, but not a huge amount. One thing that I do a lot of now is, is public speaking. Um, I talk to all kinds of different groups, whether it's camera clubs, bird clubs, you name it. Um, I never liked public speaking. I hated it. I hated going up in front of people when I was at school. But it's actually turned into a really useful... Uh, tool, particularly in the winter when things are quiet, because that's when these clubs generally do public speaking events. So you, you might go to a group, there might be anywhere from 20, sometimes to 100 plus people, and you do your talk, you get paid for the talk. If you bring things along, you might be able to sell them, whether it's a book, whether it's a calendar, whatever, you can sell those. If you've got workshops, you might be able to sell them. Often people who um, go to these talks, they might recommend you to another club. So it's a really nice way to make a chunk of change and, um, you know, be there and, and, and get it done and out of the way. Always charge for them. If someone wants you to do uh, a talk for free, don't do it. And in fact, if anyone asks you to do anything for free, don't do it. Your time is money. Uh, I'm really against freebies. I hate it when people go, it'll be great exposure. You can't eat exposure. Don't do it. Please don't do it. I know it's tempting, but doing stuff for free, it's not going to work. And if people just know you as the person to get free stuff, they're never going to value you. So I, again, I did a podcast on that topic as well. That's going to be the catchphrase of this podcast is I did a podcast on that already. Um, one quick thing before I get into 
presenters, photographers and camera operators is HSE. So if you want to get into underwater filmmaking in the UK, if you're scuba diving, you have to have an HS, uh, HSE qualification. I think it's about £1,000, £2,000, something like that. Um, no one will hire you if you don't have that. So if you're thinking, I want to do underwater filmmaking with scuba, you have to have that qualification. Now, I don't have that qualification, but that's because I generally work in water less than three foot, so it's overkill. Um, but if you wanted to do scuba diving, you would need to have that qualification to do that. So I'll start with being a presenter. A lot of you might be like, hang on a minute, Joe, you're not a TV presenter. Well, actually, I did. I, I used to be a presenter on Countryfile, so I did 10 films for Countryfile during lockdown. They basically needed people who could film, present, and plan short wildlife films. So I did one on otters, I did one on dippers, I did frogs, I did water voles, uh, grayling, I, I, and I loved it. I absolutely had a fantastic time making these films and getting on the telly. And bearing in mind that Countryfile gets, Jesus, I mean, it gets more viewers than X Factor sometimes. It gets a huge amount of, you know, millions and, maybe not millions and millions, but it gets a, a hell of a lot of people watching Countryfile. And I can tell you, it has not changed my life in the slightest. No one remembers that I was on it. So I can't say that being a presenter on a TV programme has drastically changed my life, but um, but I did do it. If you want to be a presenter, um, basically I would recommend two things. The first thing, and the easiest thing, is get yourself a showreel. So a showreel is where you basically just have you presenting in lots of different situations and you keep it short and sweet. Under two minutes ideally. It can be a little bit longer maybe, but the shorter the better. People don't want to watch a long one. So you would maybe have one of you interviewing someone. You'd have one of you presenting to the camera. You'd maybe have one of you interacting with an animal, uh, maybe one of you doing a vox pop, or just lots of different styles of presenting in one video to show that you're versatile. And what that video should show is a sense of your personality and who you are. So people can go, right, they're not too robotic, they've got a nice style, they've got a look for it, and that's what's going to sell you. So get yourself a showreel. The second one is get yourself an agent. Now, you don't have to have an agent. I've never had an agent and I've been okay, but I'm pretty proactive in contacting people. But an agent will definitely get you into doors that you would not be able to do on your own and they're going to be able to know about jobs coming up that you wouldn't have access to. The trouble is most agencies are full to the brim and they're very selective about who they take. So get your showreel done first and then send it to an agency. You know, you've got them like... Um, Oh, David Foster, which are the guys who manage Chris Packham and some of those. And then the other one is Joe Sarsby, I think is the other big one for presenters, uh, for wildlife presenters. So I would knock on those doors first, see how you go. Again, manage your expectations. They, they don't generally go looking for people, but you never know. Give it a pop. What I would say is if all else fails, crack on with YouTube. And you never know, you might get noticed on there. So typically now... I don't really do any television presenting and I'm not really bothered about that, but I love YouTube. I really like the, the freedom of the platform. So I still do videos every now and again where I'll do kind of a, more of a vlog. Uh, YouTube presenting is different to TV presenting, I would say, uh, but I, I love YouTube, so I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So if nothing else, start yourself a YouTube channel, see how you go. What I will say with YouTube, it's a slow slog to make money. 
Like I do make money from YouTube, not a lot at all, and it's taken me years. So if you're one of those people thinking, you know what, I'm gonna start a channel and I'm gonna get loads of subscribers and make loads of money quickly, it don't work like that. But if you've got the patience and the perseverance, you can make it work. So wildlife photography, this is something I know way more about. This is what I started my career as. I still do a little bit of it now and I really enjoy it. Um, I would say, a bit like what I mentioned earlier, anyone can make money from wildlife photography, but very few people can make a living from it. It is an incredibly hard industry to make a living from. And this is for lots of different reasons. If I had to pinpoint it down, it really started when digital photography came in because it meant that wildlife photography became way more accessible. You know, what was a very niche, difficult thing to do was now very open for the public to do. And you only need to go to a nature reserve. You'll see a dozen wildlife photographers on it. Everyone is a photographer. And a lot of these people are just happy to either give their images away for free or for very cheap, which means it's much harder for professionals to make a living from it. So how do you make a living from it? Um, in these days, I would say it's kind of a mixture of workshops. Um, that seems to be the main way. You could argue you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're just training other photographers, but it is a quick and easy way to make money. So if you've got, uh, particularly if you've got access to private land and you can find something on there that people will want to photograph, workshops are a great way of making money. Um, when I say workshops, I mean teaching other people photography. So, you know, whether you're teaching them how to photograph birds, whether it's just basics, whether it's kingfishers, you name it, workshops are definitely a good way to uh, to make some money in there. I mentioned printed media earlier, and again, I've spoke about this previously. Um, books are difficult because either you've got to convince a publisher to invest in you, which is very tricky, um, or you self-publish, which is a lot easier, but then you've got to come up with all the capital. Now, if it works, some books can be good earners, definitely, but it's a tricky one. So you'd have to think about the subject matter. And obviously just because you're a photographer doesn't mean you're a good writer. And it's well worth considering that if writing isn't your strong point, maybe you should partner with someone who is a good writer. Because it's all very well having fantastic images, but if you can't write for shit, no one's gonna read your book. So it's worth considering that. And, and likewise the same with magazine articles. Um, commissions are what everyone wants. So a commission is where uh, I don't know, say the RSPB or a big organisation would get in touch with you and they would say, we would like you to photograph X, Y, Z for a number of days. How much do you charge for that? But commissions are few and far between. Um, I must admit that I, I used to get a lot of them. I still I still do the odd commission now, uh, Wildlife Photography Stills Commission, but nowhere near as many as I used to. Uh, but that's what everyone wants to do. Um, it can be a case of, of working abroad, Personally, I think the UK market is tough. And I'd say if you've got the option to move abroad, you're going to find it easier. A lot of people have moved to America. A lot of Brits have moved to America and they're doing really well out there. It's a bigger market. It's a bigger country. There's more opportunities. So, you know, depending on how attached you are to the UK, um, I would recommend that other markets abroad might be an easier go of it. But, you know, that's, that's easy for me to say is telling everyone to move abroad. It's obviously not that easy. Um, the main thing is time. Time is money, and that's what people are gonna um, consider. So the more time you can invest on these subjects, the more likely you are to get something out of it. But we don't all have the luxury of time, so it's a tricky one. Finally, I'm gonna end on uh, wildlife uh, camera operators. Um, I should point out, when I say wildlife cameramen, 
I mean camera operators. Because I had a very interesting chat with someone recently where I used to say cameraman because I am a man and I, and I work a camera. And then I thought, well, actually, you should probably say camera operator because you don't know, you know, whether it's a woman or whatever um, doing the camera work. And I spoke to a camera woman and she said, no, 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 I prefer camera woman. I don't like camera operator. And the reason for that is camera operator sounds like you're hiring the camera and a person to use it. Whereas a cameraman or a camera woman, you're hiring the person to use the camera, if that makes sense. Now you might say, isn't that the same thing? But it's not, because you can hire anyone to use the camera, but you can't, a specific cameraman or woman, they're the only person that can do that job. If that makes sense, I might not have explained that very well. So I still use cameraman now anyway, but when I say cameraman, I mean anyone basically. Um, the first thing I would say, a bit like presenting, get yourself a decent showreel. It doesn't matter if you've got a degree, it doesn't matter if you've done this abroad or whatever for 20 years, what the people who are gonna hire you wanna see is what you can do. And the best way that they're gonna see what you can do is a snazzy short showreel. Keep it under two minutes, shove all your best shit in there, that's what's gonna get you the work. A really sharp, clean showreel. Now, depending on whether you wanna go down the niche or you wanna go generalist, that will affect what you put in it. If it's a generalist, then you'd have everything. You'd have a drone shot, you'd have a time lapse, you'd have some underwater, you'd have some long lens, you'd have some wide lens. You would just put everything in there and your absolute best. And if you're really, really good, you would actually turn it into a sequence. So you'd have everything relating to one subject because that's what these um, people are gonna hire you wanna see. It's all very well being a good cameraman, but you've also gotta be a good storyteller. You need to be able to put a story together. So if you can do that within your showreel as well, you're in for a pretty good fucking start to get some work. The other thing I would say is you've got to be good at networking. Um, you've got to know when to schmooze, who to talk to. You've got to try and keep in the loop when, when jobs are available. Generally speaking, in wildlife filmmaking, people do not advertise jobs. So it's not like, um, you know, if there's, a new, if there's a new series coming out, they don't typically say, we need a cameraman for Planet Earth 4. They might do, but typically... They already know who they want. It's a relatively small pot of people. So they're like, right, we're going to do lines in the Serengeti, so we're going to use this guy. And chances are they'll get that guy. So because of that, if you're just starting out, it's really tough to get your foot in the door because they already know who they want. So you've got to work really, really hard. And as well as having your good showreel and as well as being good at what you do, you've got to know the right people. And I hate the saying, but it is true. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I say it's true, you've got to back up um, who you know with skill, but knowing the right people and look is so incredibly important. I don't. I think people underestimate the value of look that sometimes, <laughs> fucking dogs barking again, um, that's not lucky. So that's an example of being unlucky. Um, being lucky, you know, the right place at the right time, that's going to get you those jobs. And there's definitely been instances in my career where... I've just bumped into the right person at the right time and it's managed to get me a, a good job. So networking is key. Whether that mo means moving to Bristol, because Bristol is the hub of wildlife filmmaking, everyone moves to Bristol. And yes, I think you are in the loop slightly. The trouble is, what you end up is you kind of get into the production trap. And what that is, people want to be wildlife camera operators, right? So they think, well, I'll move to Bristol. So they move to Bristol, hoping to get wildlife camera work. 
there isn't wildlife camera work in Bristol because they send the crews, um, you know, all over the country, all over the world. So instead, they end up being a researcher or a runner. And then you end up being an assistant producer. And before you know it, 10 years have gone and you're working in production. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have a great time. You'll probably love it and you'll probably be on decent money as well. But you started off wanting to be a camera operator and you're nowhere near that now. So it is hard to be a camera op, um, but it's doable. It is definitely doable. And out of those three professions, presenter, photographer, camera op, camera op is the one that you've got the most success in, I would think, the most chance of doing. Although I would say, just to put a downer at the end of this podcast, at the moment, the wildlife filmmaking industry is in disarray. 80% of freelancers are out of work at the moment. That's what a Planet Earth Free director told me when I was in Bristol just before Christmas. So the industry, for lack of a better word, is currently fucked. Um, you know, there's so many people I know out of work or they're not working at the minute. The reason, if, you, if you're curious, um, when we came out of lockdown, there was a hunger for content. People wanted to go out and film. Uh, no one had seen anything new for a while. So there was a kind of false economy of production companies buying new content. They bought all that content and they've, they've now shown that and now what's happened is they don't need it anymore. They don't want any new content. So there's been a massive collapse. So production companies are letting off staff left, right and centre. Um, freelancers are struggling to find TV work. So um, if I was trying to get into the industry now, um, it's a little bit like ice skating uphill. Um, just to leave this career's advice on a bit of a boner. <laughs> a boner? A, uh, a bonus, I was going to say, not a boner. Um, anyway, d- despite me being incredibly pessimistic and and... and hopefully somewhat helpful i hope that you got something out of that there are some little nuggets of wisdom in there uh, I and mean, i promise you i'm not an arsehole i've always said to people like if anyone wants specific advice well general advice i should say um i, I am happy to meet up with people what i don't like is when people just message me on instagram or send me an email and they they do too much ass kissing and they just want to pump me for information i don't really like that but if people if they want general advice and I'm in the area, I'll meet up with you. I'd rather meet people. I don't really like typing loads of stuff. What I'm probably going to do is just send this podcast and uh, and dash everyone's dreams to a degree. But hopefully you've found something useful out of this. Next week's podcast is going to be with Ben Rosen, who is the creator at the Museum of Cardiff. And we're going to be talking about slugs. So problems with slugs in gardens or perceived problems with slugs in gardens and a little bit more about their kind of weird and wonderful lives. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers.